Are there any? Hey, everybody, welcome to tonight's <laughs> late night happy hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined, we swear, by Ricky Cobb. You know him as the guy who runs the uh, Super 70s sports account. And he, there he is. He's back. There he is. Um, he's a real person. He's a real person. He's got his Gatorade. He's, you know, he got to hydrate. And he's staying with us in central time. So it's late. Thanks, man, for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey man, what a what better way to start my Friday, you know, right here with you guys. It's it is you are great. It's actually just turned Friday, man. So that that's awesome. We we really appreciate. We both uh, been we've been following the account for a long time, but like you know, have never actually gotten in touch with you before or like really even seen you before. Like you've always been this man of mystery behind the account. Yeah, you know, uh, that that was especially true for the first few years. I don't think for the probably the first maybe four years, all that many people knew my name. And then there was a very nice feature on me in the Chicago Tribune um, in 2019. And slowly but surely, I started to crawl out from under the rock and, you know, <laughs> people figured out who I was. So that's kind of nice. Did, did you have any reservations at all? about actually doing something like that in terms of revealing your identity. It's almost like when Kiss took off the makeup. Remember <laughs> like remember when that was a really big deal like and oh they God. finally terrible idea. Them? Well cuz like paparazzis used to literally camp out and chase those four guys in Kiss like trying to get a, a photo with them without the makeup on. Yeah, and then you saw what Gene Simmons looked like. <laughs> yeah, back on, you know, <laughs> for real. I've been wanting him to do that for about you know, what thirty-five years now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think mixed feelings, honestly. I mean, there's there's that part of you that wants recognition, and people would say, "Oh, you guys are great. I love what you guys do," and you know, I would, I would take that as a compliment if people assumed that it was more than one person writing. <laughs> But then there's the part of you that it's like, hey, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having credit. You know, I have I have a name. But then on the other hand, being an it's you know just sort of an anonymous suburban dad, um, it it is strange when you know people start to recognize you and um, you know start to look at you as being a known figure. So that's that's been a little bit of a trip, uh, mostly good, but you know gaining some degree of notoriety in your late forties is, uh, you know, it's a little different. All right. So if for people, I mean, I think most of the people who, who are, are with us on the show have probably seen the account and they've seen, you know, seen the, uh, the thing, but like, if you, if you've never seen super 70 sports, it looks kind of like this, like, you know, just <laughs> old pictures and stuff, you know, you see this one with Dick Butkus and just a great line that goes with it. And he really is tackling everybody there. <laughs> yeah. It says, uh, Dick Buckus described the philosophy when in doubt, just tackle every fucking buddy. <laughs> and he, he is in this moment, pretty much taken down everyone. And so, you know, it, it, it's the, the account kind of focuses mostly on sports and pop culture and all that stuff from the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, and, and some newer stuff, but, I, the the I think the, the first place place I want to start is like what was your sports loyalty growing up because we're all about the same age obviously uh, but like when you were growing up like where were your sports loyalties who were your teams who were your players well you know first of all I, I grew up in Kentucky so we didn't have any major league teams in any of the big four Kentucky all these years later Kentucky still doesn't you know the the Kentucky Colonels. Um, folded <laughs> in 76 and and that was it really and i i think partly because there wasn't really just a baked in obvious favorite team for me in any sport i was a little bit of a free agent you know when i was very small i was i was a typical front running little kid i like the dallas cowboys that was my oh. first favorite football team uh and i think that's because oh nice um, I'm actually, it's my wife's. I actually have learned to accept the Cowboys. I grew up despising them, but them. you know, you, the, the things you do for love. Well, uh, you know, so. the thing that's funny is I, I hated the Steelers because, you know, they kept beating the Cowboys. And uh, 
you know, now all these years later, uh, you know, the Steelers probably in retrospect are kind of my favorite team, the Steelers and the Raiders uh, of that era. But, um, you know, my fav- first favorite baseball team was the Yankees. So that, you know, this yeah. is almost like a profession. Wow, I'm just getting it off my, getting it off my chest. Uh, but uh, we, uh, Brian Doyle, I don't know if either of you guys remember Denny Doyle, who was the uh, Red Sox second yeah. base for much of the seventies. And uh, his brother, Brian uh, came up with the Yankees in the late seventies. And in 78, when the Yankees were chasing down the Red Sox, that huge comeback from 14 games uh, down or whatever it was in July uh, or maybe even August. Um, Brian Doyle was from my hometown and went to the same high school as me. And so I had this built-in rooting interest that some guy from Horse Cave, Kentucky, Cave City, Kentucky was, <laughs> was on the New Did York. You, say, you said Horse Cave, Kentucky? Yeah, I said Horse Cave, Kentucky. Um what Very, is a horse cave, Kentucky? <laughs> well, the legend when I was a kid was that, you know, some guy was riding his horse and he fell into a cave. But I think that it's uh, its quite a story, Ricky. It's quite a story. <laughs> and it, and if you've been there, a little too believable, you know. Uh, but uh, it, small town America, population 2000. Uh, I had 56 kids in my senior class, as I recall, when we graduated. And so I, I lived in a very small town. The, on my 21st birthday, I had only been to one major league park and that was Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a small world, you know, uh, my mom would take me to one Reds game a year. So I became a little bit of a Reds fan. You know, I certainly uh, had a little extra rooting interest in them, but um, the Cubs, when we got WGN in the early 80s, we got the good cable around 82. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh, yeah. Yeah, you get out of elementary school, go home. We would get out at 2.15, and then you go home, flip on WGN, and if the Cubs were at home, it was usually maybe third inning. And, uh, you know, I'd get myself some, I'm sure, very nutritious – you know, snack, not, and watch <laughs> Harry Carey and Steve Stone. So when I, yep. when I wound up, you know, moving to the Chicago area uh, many years later, um, one of the things that I was most excited about is, you know, thinking to myself, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get to go out to Wrigley field uh, as much as I want to. And um, I certainly have availed myself of that opportunity, you know, over the years that I've lived here. You know, look, man, we, we grew up in St. Louis and just, I, you know, I, I don't hate the Cubs because the Cubs generally are so bad. It's not worth the, you know, like you don't hate the Cubs. They're terrible. Um, but you don't, you know, right. But Wrigley is so cool. Wrigley's amazing. If, if you've never had a chance to go to Wrigley, it is so cool. It is so much fun to watch a game there. Uh, I do great. want to point. It's, uh, some, uh, it's, I don't think it's what it once was. You know, the video boards and the uh, ricketsization yeah. of it all. I hope everybody enjoys that World Series from 2016 because as the team gets gutted, uh, you know, by the by the Ricketts family and you go out to Wrigley now and the, you've got – it's loud. There's video boards everywhere. Okay, uh, you know, the, that's interesting because I, yeah. I haven't been in a long time. Like the last time I – the last in, time I was in Wrigley, I want to say was – Maybe 2008 or 2009. It was when it was when the Dodgers played them, either in the first or second round of the playoffs. I, I was covering them for the LA Times, so I, I went to that series, and I haven't been since. Has it changed a lot, uh, Wrigley, in like the last twelve or so years? I, I feel like it's changed a lot. Uh, you know, probably more like I can't remember what year they put the boards in, but it was probably seven ish years ago, seven, eight, something like that. You know, I'm probably, there's probably people out there now who are thinking I'm off and I probably am, but um, you know, it, the thing that was so great, first time I ever went there was 2000 and it was still just the organ and right. the old scoreboard right? and the McDonald's across the street. Everybody from Chicago knows what I'm talking about. The, the Wrigley McDonald's, you know, just a regular lousy McDonald's. <laughs> no better than it wasn't a special, you know, Wrigley version. 
And now, of course, um, you know, I probably would have done the same thing, I guess, if I was a team owner. But, you know, they came in and they sort of ruthlessly tried to cash in on the nostalgia. And basically, I think in on the inside, you know, in terms of what you're looking at, if you're in the ballpark watching the game, uh, you know, they've they've created a lot of the sound and fury that you get at every other ballpark. And I I think it lost a bit of its charm uh, for me personally. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I did want to point out just a, a bit of bullshit here. Uh, I am looking at the wiki page for Horse Cave, Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> and in the list of notable people, it lists si uh, Simon Bolivar Buckner, the 30th governor of Kentucky, Clarence Glover, a former NBA player, Tom Moran, a, a former NFL player, John Stanley Palmore Jr., Chief Justice of Kentucky Supreme Court, and that's it. Yeah, that's some no bullshit. Ricky Cobb. Yeah, I, the Wikipedia for Horse Cave is obviously not keeping up with my meteoric uh, rise to stardom. So I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. Now, I, I, I know Clarence Glover's a son. I went to high school with him. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, good guy, Adonis Glover. Shout out, Adonis, wherever you are. But uh, yeah, <laughs> look, I'll set, I, I, I'm like the Rodney Dangerfield of social media. I, I get no respect. I don't even have a blue check mark. On Twitter, you know, have you really have four hundred thousand Twitter followers, and you don't have a, a a check mark? When I when I got hacked last summer, there was a note about it in the in the New York Post sports section, but I'm still not notable. I guess I, you know, it's wow. one of those things where Twitter's been very good to me, and I don't want to be petty, but you know, yeah, I I I'd like my goddamn. Well, Okay, you know what? We are going to be petty on your behalf, Ricky. I'm tweeting out right now as we as we send out continual show links um, Wait, over the, the course of this hour. A, a, a I, I am tweeting card. right now to verify it. How about getting Super 70 Sports a damn blue check? Come on, man. Like, seriously. It would it would be nice. You know, I uh, I, I love Twitter. Twitter, like I say, it's been really – Twitter's been very, very good to me, you know, as the man once said. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say right now, I'm saying we are verified and we are vouching for him. Like we're, <laughs> we're, we are going to put our name as somebody who's been blue-checked, you know, a good four or so years, maybe even longer. We, we, are, we are going to put our name and our blue check and our power behind you, man, because this, this honestly – this is an outrage that should not stand. Like this, this pisses me off. I'll tell you the the uh, the cruelest uh, cut of all. You know, I think I'm what four hundred twelve thousand something like that now. Uh, I saw a guy once, a meteorologist, and I think it was Idaho, but it might have been one of the Dakotas. Ninety followers, blue chip. <laughs> And I made a comment about it, and he responded and said, "Sucks to be you, you know." So, <laughs> well, I mean, so I always, I always get a kick out of it when uh, you know somebody follows me and they've got you know eight hundred followers or fifteen hundred followers in the blue check. I just kind of shake my head, you know. But I figure, you know, one day when it happens, it'll you know it'll be my uh, it'll be my personal triumph. Well, we I, actually somebody else watching the show right now. Uh, Sashin Despande just said, start a hashtag campaign for the blue check. So I, I think I think we are going to start the beginning of your eventual blue check, Ricky. Like this is going to become a thing for us. This is this is going to be our mission for you. Because again, this is outrageous. It really is. It's just I, I it really reinforces how um none of this makes any sense. Uh, so like one of the things that I think is is fascinating as we sort of get into what you do is like, you know, again, it's just for people who haven't seen it, it's stuff like this. Today in 1979, Phil Jackson recorded a historic triple-double when he scored 15 points, grabbed 11 rebounds, and tucked his balls back into his shorts 27 times. <laughs> and you can see, you know, there's not a lot there that's left to the imagination in this old school photo of Phil Jackson playing with the with the Nets. Um you know, when, what is, first of, all, first of all, how did this happen? Like, how did you end up doing this? And then I want to kind of get into just like the, the, the role, like the, the, the role of nostalgia and just looking back on all this stuff. But let's start with the first part. How did this happen? 
How did you become the guy who writes jokes about Phil Jackson tucking his balls back into his shorts 27 times? Can you imagine that that guy went on to be like the coolest dude in, in every room he was in, you know, <laughs> your nutsack there. Um, <laughs> I, I was on, I think, uh, Christmas break from my day job. As you guys know, I'm a, I'm a college professor, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm not making it swing on Twitter. <laughs> and, uh, I was, I think, you know, on the little four or five week break. So was Phil. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. That's right. Phil, was a, Phil um, was a player on the Nets and the Knicks when he wasn't making it swing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was really making it swing. And so uh, I, I think that I had, it was probably just a spontaneous thing. I thought, well, maybe this would be fun. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Dan Epstein is, but no. uh, he, he wrote a book probably about 10 years ago called uh, Big Hair and Plastic Grass. And it was about baseball in the 1970s. And uh, I thought it was a great book. I'd recommend it to anybody. that If you like my Twitter feed, uh, you should get Dan's book. And um, I was a fan of it. And Dan had created a Facebook page to kind of promote his book and, Every day he was posting these little nuggets about, you know, Dave Rossello's Afro or Bill Madlock or, you know, he would wish these guys a birthday and post a baseball card and have a little something to say. And it just sort of registered with me after a while that I was really looking forward to it. And I couldn't quite figure out why, but like every day I would go check and see what Dan Epstein had, had posted about 70s baseball players that day. And, um, I think it occurred to me, well, I'm having so much fun reading what he's posting about baseball players. What if I uh, kind of did my own spin on it and just did all sports rather than just baseball? And so I created the Twitter account. I actually created two. A lot of people don't know this. I created Super 70 Sports and I created something that I called Awesome 80 Sports. And, uh, you know, after doing it for about three or four days, I just decided the hell with this. It's too much trouble having two accounts. And so I, uh, you know, just went all in with Super 70 Sports. And, and all in at that time really just meant that I was tweeting, you know, probably two or three things three or four times a week. There was really, it was like a tree falling in the forest. You know, I had maybe 500 followers uh, after having done it for a few months. And um, in 2015, uh, you know, something something hit a tipping point. People started to notice it. And I I went from 2000 to 3000 to five to 10 to 20 by the end of the year. And Sports Illustrated named me to some uh, silly, you know, Twitter social media list at the end of the year. And when that happened, I realized that, well, it seems like this is something. I, I don't quite know what it is, but it's it's more than what I initially thought it would be, which was really probably just something for me and a handful of friends to, you know, have a laugh about. Um, okay. So like one of the things that, that makes this site so funny is like, again, especially if you grew up collecting baseball cards, you grew up in the air or whatever, like this isn't you, like this isn't your, your stuff, but this is the kind of thing that you put on the site. I'll share my screen here. Um, and what, let me see if I can, uh, here we go. Like you get more mileage on Super 70 Sports out of baseball players wearing glasses <laughs> than, like, anybody I've ever seen. Like, you know, so let me see here. So here's, like, one page. If you just Google 1980s baseball cards and glasses, like, this is some of the shit that pops up. Like, look at what these people are wearing. Um, let's see if I can find another one. Like, uh, like here we go. Like, so what? what is so fertile about stuff like that. Like it's not just like 70s and 80s baseball players, but 70s and 80s baseball players wearing glasses. Like it's stuff like that that you mine so much out of. There was a card there that I I saw briefly. It was the 1979 Tops Mark Lee. And he's wearing a great pair of glasses. If you google that and 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 look it up, it became one of my better known tweets. Um, I tweeted that, uh, you know, people made fun of Mark Lee's glasses, but no pitcher is ever the same after having Elton John surgery. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, um, 
the the interesting thing about that one is uh you know, as you guys know, uh, you know, I have the Super 70 Sports store where we we have T-shirts and all kinds of sports and pop culture references from the 70s and 80s and and forward. But uh, an order came in. Somebody bought a couple of the Elton John surgery shirts and um, it was Mark Lee. And so I actually sent him an email and I was like, are you you know, like, are, are you Mark Lee, Mark Lee? And he's like, yeah, I, I am. I, I saw somebody told me about this and I love the shirts. And so uh, I issued him a refund and said, how many do you want? <laughs> he said, well, he said, I'd like to have about a half a dozen for myself and family members. And so uh, I shipped him out a half a dozen and he actually sent me a, a picture of him wearing the shirt, uh, you know, which was a pretty cool thing. And Does he still have the glasses? And actually Mark being so cool about that, um, you know, is really indicative of the way that athletes have been about super seventies. People ask me sometimes, you know, has, has somebody ever lit you up for something that you said about them in a tweet? And, uh, the truth is no, 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 nobody has ever, uh, an athlete has never complained or, uh, said why you, you know, you son of a bitch. I, you know, why did you do that? And, and quite, quite the opposite actually. I mean, look, first of all, what are they going to say to you? Like, you didn't put those glasses or those sideburns or that hair or the lapels or whatever the hell that you're pointing out that they're wearing their choices. Those were theirs, not yours. But I also think, too, like, it's, it is funny to look back on that stuff. I mean, like, I think most people have a pretty good sense of humor about the idea of what I was wearing 20 yes. years ago. 30 years ago like generally it doesn't age well like brian was asking before like about why these guys would be wearing you know all these athletes wearing big glasses but like but like this is mike davis an outfielder for the a's like if mike davis hit 200 wearing those fucking glasses like it's a goddamn miracle look at those things like those like, are what you wear on the street like but, but here's the thing though it was the 70s i know everything was big Yes. Like the idea of wearing contacts, which makes a hell of a lot more sense as a professional athlete. Just, I mean, they didn't have, it was more hard oh, contacts Gerald back Morgan. then. Oh, yeah. But, but still, yeah, he was. But, uh, you know, I mean, guys just did this. Like, that's a look. Everything, everything was big. <laughs> they, they drove in in a massive Cadillac, I'm sure, or some type of gas guzzler. And they had their big shirt with the big collar on when they arrived. And they put on their big glasses to play baseball. Yeah. I mean, Reggie Jackson, you know, who was my favorite player as a kid, at least once per at bat, you know, he would do that thing, you know, where you got to push it back up on your, uh, you know, your nose. And, uh, you know, it was so common. And, you know, that that's the thing. You know, people ask me some, you know, what is it about the 70s? Why the 70s? And, I, you know, I think as good an answer as any is, you know, because just look at these guys, you know, <laughs> that's why the seven, you know, it's, it's the answer is kind of self-evident. Look at the cars, look at the clothes, as you were referencing, look at the hairstyles, look at the glasses, look at the shag carpeting, you know, uh, look at all of that. And, you know, tell me another decade that is, uh, you know, quite that garish and excessive, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the, the 70s are a really interesting period, like in terms of pop culture, because like I, I don't know if there's ever been a better decade that simultaneously produced great music, TV and movies all at the same time. Like there have been different decades that have had you know, maybe two out of the three, but like three out of the three is pretty amazing. And then you combine like very, very specific styles with fashion you know, overall sensibilities, cars, like you were talking about, but there's also Watergate happened in the seventies. You've got like gas wars going on. You had like that garbage strike in New York. Like there was a lot happening in that decade. Like the, the specificity of the seventies, I, I think is one that, I mean, like the sixties has, has it in certain ways as well, but I, I would imagine that like I, specificity. Yeah, you know what, I feel like, I know. feel Andy too, like, you know, the seventies and eighties, the eighties, especially, I think like it's that bridge era between where like stuff is recognizable. Like they had computers in the eighties, like, you know, they had like, but it's, it's still so wildly different than it is now. 
uh, like what was available, how you listen to music and stuff. So it's like it's both recognizable and completely different, but not in like a 40s and 50s way where it's like it's like completely another planet. It's, a, it's I think there's something interesting about that bridge era. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, you know, you look at the look at the 60s and look at the 80s, and we got there somehow. And the the answer is is we got there through the 70s, and a lot of changes took place during that time. But it was just such a different time. You know, I did a tweet earlier today about an old uh, rotary dial phone, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not even just the rotary dial phone. And yes, we're we're cranking that thing. Uh, to, you know, to make a phone call like some, you know, cave person. But at the same time, I remember growing up, we had a party line, you know, you yeah. go to make a call and you pick it up and, you know, your, your fucking neighbors talk. <laughs> it's it's you know, pretty well, crazy. You could, you could listen in, you know, uh, but, you know, you'd have to wait. And so, um, you know, so many. What were things- your neighbors talking about in horse cave? At that time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, uh, you, you know, we're probably talking about cows and tobacco and, uh, you know, all, all that good horse cave stuff. But, um, yeah, it's it's hard. I certainly want to listen in on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for my kids, you know, to to, to realize. I don't th- you know, I'm not 50 yet. I turned 50 this year. But to, to think how much things have changed, uh, you know, in terms of just technology, uh, if nothing else is, you know, it's pretty remarkable. You know, we thought we had it good and I guess we did, but, uh, you know, we, we didn't know what we were missing either. You know, what's funny though, like we, cause you, br- you brought up that rotary phone and this is something that Brian and I have both, both noticed with our kids when they were younger, kids intuitively understand that that's a phone, even though like the phones that they see their parents use or frankly, anybody use in, in, you know, the, the 2010s, now the 2020s, like they don't even come close to resembling anything like that. Like, I, I don't even know if my daughter, other than like in an office or in a store, has ever even seen a landline or, or like maybe in her school. Like, I, I don't even think she's ever been around one that it wasn't in some type of professional setting. But when she was like two or three, she'd be in preschool and they, you know, they still had the old toys but, from sure. like my age, and she understood that it was a phone. Like but it's really I'll, weird. I'll say this: like my my two, my we have a two year old at home, and she has these little like you know little baby kid dominoes. She doesn't understand like how to do the dots and this and that, but you know what she does use it as a phone because it's the same shape as mommy and daddy's phone. So she goes, "Hello, hello." <laughs> Um, hello. So that, I mean, that's what she does with dominoes. So they may, they may intuitively understand it, but they also think anything that's a rectangle is a phone. (laughs) Yeah. I saw, uh, you, you guys may have seen this too, but there was a, a a little short video going around a few years ago of, uh, you know, probably like a two year old Mm -hmm. kid who had a magazine and was taking her finger, you know, and trying (laughs) to scroll. Wow on the magazine wow and, that's funny yeah it's a, it's a new a whole new world oh god i remember my daughter when she was like five she asked me what i used to watch on netflix when i was a kid <laughs> and when i explained to her that you know netflix didn't exist like the internet didn't exist when i was her age like you know you had three channels essentially maybe four she just gave me this look of pity like it was it wasn't <laughs> even like she like she couldn't wrap her head around it She's like, oh my God, you poor bastard. Like, what, what did you, what did you used do? to do? With, yeah. Like, just four channels? Like, how did you live? Well, what you did, uh, but this is this is what I think is different about sports now, too, is what you did was you went home, and eventually you had more channels, and you watched WGN, or you watched TBS, and, like, whatever Braves game was on. Like, I didn't like the Braves. I hated Harry Carey, but I still watched because that's the baseball game that I could see. I didn't have the, you know, I couldn't just look up clips. I couldn't do all this other stuff. And it's, it's really, it's the way people consume sports now has really changed, uh, changed all of this stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, to me, it's, 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 it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. I think that that's one of the things that we've lost, um, is we, we've lost the common experience a little bit, I think, 
you know, when uh, I, I had Nick Bakai on my podcast uh, a couple of times, and the last time that Nick was on, we, I, I don't know how, you know, uh, but, but our conversation came around to Laverne and Shirley. And we were both talking about Laverne and Shirley. And, you know, I can't remember which of us said it, but it was like, you know, it, it really wasn't that good. I mean, I'm not, you know, it was okay, but we were watching it mostly because it was the best. We decided it was the best of the three options we had. Right. 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 And, and so, you know, you, and, and you were in front of the TV watching it or you missed it. And so the next day, you know, there were no, you know, there wasn't like, you know, don't spoil Laverne and Shirley for me. You know, I'm going to watch it later. Uh, you know, the writer spoiled it. <laughs> right. But uh, I don't know why I'm bagging on Laverne and Shirley. There's a lot of Laverne and Shirley slander here. Good show. I mean, it had a lot of talented people on it, but, but I, I could pick you know, I mentioned Michael McKean as our guest tomorrow, Rick. Right. Oh, he's the best. Yes, he, he is. is. He's genuinely one of my favorites. He is the best. David St. Hubbins, much, <laughs> much respect. Now, everything that guy is in immediately becomes twice as good for his uh, for his role in it. But, um, you know, Laverne and Shirley and shows like that, we, we could go to school the next day and, and talk about them. And we did. Whereas today, lots of times, what somebody's favorite show is, uh, I may have never heard of it. I may have never heard of the streaming platform that it's on, you know, much less heard of it. And it's great to have options. Don't get me wrong. But everything is so splintered and fractured now that I I wonder if, you know, when this generation looks back on, uh, you know, what they were doing, uh, they're, they're going to be able to relate to one another quite in the same way that guys like uh, the three of us can. Right well, now, here is a show that uh, I think we can all agree was just phenomenal. Everyone knows that, as you said, things picking up down at the Regal Beagle. You got your Jack Tripper. You got Lonnie Anderson. It looks like making a special appearance as they as they watch Chrissy dance. That's that show is still just unbelievably funny. It, it's just the best. It's gold, you know, and it's it's interesting to see sometimes which shows hold up. And which ones don't, but three, three's company, I think really holds up. I mean, John, John, Ritter, John Ritter was so good and Richard Klein was so good. And Larry Norman fell was, was so good. You know, there were, uh, there, there were a lot of comedic genius. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, the only thing that does, I mean, the, the comedy holds up. The only thing that really doesn't hold up is the premise that like a landlord would be particularly in Southern California would be that, uh, hung up on the idea of a of a single man living with two women that wasn't gay, like yeah, so. I mean, like that's that, that's the only part that the comedy itself actually still works. It does, yeah. No, I I, I thought that Santa Monica was enlightened. Uh, you know, <laughs> Apparently not. Seventies, I don't know. Um, this is one of the you know I, this one is I think one of the great things about the site and I'd love you to, to get into a little bit because it actually kind of gets into what you do with your day job. It, it talks about gator gum. And if you, you know, again, are of a certain age, you remember going into your local sporting goods store and getting as much of this shit as you possibly could. Cause it made you fast and awesome, um, in gum form. And the flavor lasted for about 12 seconds and then you were done with it and it was terrible gum, but it was like a part of your baseball growing up. You teach sociology. That's like your 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 day job. What, what what is it about sort of the nostalgia of just looking at Gator Gum that makes me go, God, I love this website, you know, or man, I want to share this, or or what it is. Like what what is it about the nostalgia play that you're that you're doing here? Well, you know, the, the connections that you make are are strange and wonderful sometimes. I, I'll, I'll tell you the biggest Gator Gum fan, other than myself. <laughs> that I've ever met is Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Dale and I had like a 20 minute text conversation one night that was 90% about Gator Gum, I think, you know? <laughs> and, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, geez, you know, I guess everybody gets it, you know, regardless of where you grew up, uh, it cuts across, uh, you know, geography, it cuts across, socioeconomic lines it cuts across 
you know, race and, you know, various other factors that if you were there and you lived through it, there's just certain things that you remember that when it comes up or when you see it, it triggers those memories, almost like music does, right? Uh, you know how songs will just take you back to mm -hmm. a time and place. I think that I've learned, and believe me, I, I, I don't think I knew the power of this when I started, but I began to understand the power of it as, you know, the time went on of, you know, throwing a tweet up like that Gator Gum tweet, you know, it's almost like, hearing a song that takes you back to a specific time and place. And, uh, you know, the time and place may be a little bit different for each of us that, you know, sees the tweet, but it's tapping into something that, that we share and just creates this instantly relatable thing where, you know, I, I've said before that I think every day on my feed is, you know, just sort of like an informal high school reunion of a bunch of kids that, may not have gone to the same high school, but we can relate to one another as, as if we did. Well, I mean, if you are of a certain age, you obviously will be taken aback by this image of a tab cola. And as you said, perhaps no beverage has ever succinctly stated mom's on a diet. Uh, we see here the tab is in an hour shaped glass. Um, what, what's hilarious about that? Cause like I, I had forgotten, but then I recalled when I saw the photo, do you remember one of their slogans was tab for beautiful people? Right. Tab, tab, cola. What a beautiful drink. Tab, tab, cola for beautiful people. Like that is not a slogan that you would have now for a soda. Like the idea of this is what the beautiful people drink. Like, like we're, we're going to go for something this superficial in, in our, in our advertisement for a drink. Basically you uglies over there. You people who aren't taking care of yourself, you go drink your sugar soda. But we're we're essentially going to fat shame the rest of you all into either drinking tab or continuing to drink tab. Like it's yeah. it's really it's funny to look back on that. Yeah, you can you can orange crush yourself into obesity, or you, know, <laughs> you can join the jet set uh, on the red carpet with our with our tabs. Um, you know, that was absolutely disgusting, by the way. I mean, because oh, yeah. I mean, mom had it in the house. It is true. I and mean, it's it was it was absolutely marketed to and for suburban women. It was and considered so it was in the it house. It was considered glamorous. Like tab was considered like a sophisticated, you know, in addition to uh, a shallow drink, it was it was also a very sophisticated cola. And was was it tab that had one calorie? Yes, yes. You know, so they're like Ricky, they're are like, you not reading your own tweets? Yeah, they're like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Getting a little lazy here in year six of Super 70. Uh, but yeah, you know, it had one calorie. So it had that little bit of intrigue. Like, what the fuck's in it that it has one calorie? They couldn't have gotten that last calorie out. Uh, you know, so to me, that added to the, the mystery of Tab. But it also came with a warning label. So crazy, you know? I mean, you remember, was, you remember the warning label, Ricky? The warning label was probably that it causes cancer in laboratory animals or correct something like that, as I because it had saccharin. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you yeah. go. Hey, look, you know, you got to be willing to take a few chances for uh, you know, <laughs> being a, an amazing human being. So, I mean, what's the point of being healthy if you don't look fantastic? I mean, like, <laughs> why, why are you bothering to keep your body, uh, free of additives and stuff if there isn't like a physical payoff to it like you know if, if you're not going to be you know bringing in the dudes and you know making your girlfriends jealous by the way you look i mean really what, what's the point of it all i don't think there is one <laughs> exactly i mean the whole the whole thing's a waste of everybody's time i need to know how you landed on this picture <laughs> <laughs> Because that really is the worst. Like, like that's bad by prison standards. Like that. Like that's got to be a setup, right? It's you know, for people you know listening to the podcast, it's a urinal and then another urinal, appropriately spaced with a regular toilet in between, with two toilets on the side of the regular toilet. Yeah, I mean, I, every time I see that photo, I just try to visualize what that room would look like if all five of those. <laughs> Things were occupied. I mean, you know, you've got some guy's ass in your face. Some guy's got his dick out next to your head. You're asking <laughs> the guy next to you for toilet paper. Guess what? 
take a look at that again. There is no toilet paper. <laughs> no. <laughs> so not only are you getting real up close and personal with your buddies, uh, you know, I mean, we could at least have a roll of toilet paper. I mean, uh, you're, you don't even get the, that. That urinal on the right, you bear, you barely have room to stand. And then, like, what are you doing with your legs if you're sitting on the three toilets there? You're out of luck if you have a shy bladder. Might <laughs> <laughs> as well just keep moving. If you got a shy bladder at all, it's not going to be happening for you in that room. I mean, you're gonna. Ooh, I, I mean, somebody may have. I think. Well, I was going to say you might have to go side saddle. But the problem is, if there's if there's two people at the urinals, then you're all up in their business too. I mean, th this is really tricky to negotiate. Like, there's no good way to do it. I feel sorry for the guy on the middle toilet. You know that is that the, is that the worst? You got five mm. options there. Is that the one that is going to be taken last if, if five people walk in? <laughs> It, you know, which one would you find unoccupied if four guys were in there and, and you came in? What do you think? I got to say I, the middle toilet probably. Here's that would be the worst. But also, to my question is if you you walk in there and somebody's actually using one of the toilets to 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 take a shit, do you sidle up to the urinal next to them and just be like, "Hey, man," and go, or do you wait until he's done? What's the etiquette here? I have no idea. I, I have no idea either. And then like, what's that part? You know, look at the partition. You know, you've got like five, you got like two guys taking a leak, three guys taking a dump, and then they have a partition for like everybody else. For modesty. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not animals, Rick. Is, is there a payphone there? This to, me, this to me feels like one of those things. And you see it like this went viral the other day. I saw this. And this is something that happens now. And I think it's really funny because it gets everybody completely up in arms and they don't understand. There was this woman, you know, rich white lady who's making nacho cones on her countertop or whatever. And it's clearly designed just to go viral so people get really upset and be like what the hell is this woman doing so she takes a big tub of nacho cheese doesn't even heat it just opens a can and spreads it out onto this marble counter island and then opens cans and just proceeds to lay everything out and then chops up chips into it and then does all this stuff. I and mean, each step is more revolting and disgusting and totally ridiculous than the last. And then she puts it in the cone and you eat it. And then she's like, look, nacho cones. And it, it does exactly that. Like that picture. And it makes everybody upset. Like that's got to be staged specifically for this purpose, right? To have, so people will then have this conversation. That can't be a real bathroom. It's, right? It's either that or it's Russia. <laughs> <laughs> you want bathroom experience? <laughs> I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it's like, look, you want to hold or you want to go? <laughs> like, if, if yeah. that is. That's my Russia. theory. Yeah. You're, 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 the odds are probably <laughs> longer on Russia, but I'm going to put my money on that anyway. You know, interesting, interesting comment from Granted LA. The worst trough is at Wrigley. It's in a circle. <laughs> you look up and you're staring another dude in the face. Have you used that one as a frequent uh, Wrigley traveler? <laughs> well, I've uh, I've used the troughs, uh, you know, more times than I can count. I don't know that I've ever had. I've never know, seen the circular one, though. Yeah, I don't remember gazing, uh, you know, into anyone's eyes over a over a trough. But I don't know. I might seek. You know, I get enough drinks in me. I might seek it out and just try to make somebody <laughs> uncomfortable. That just seems like an. It literally, like quite almost literally, seems like an accident waiting to happen. Um, what what is the uh, like when when you do you see a difference? Like this is another one that I thought was really fun because it reminded me of this commercial. Like this was a really really popular commercial in in you know the 70s and 80s for parquet margarine and it was just this talking margarine tub and it was like it was everybody knew it exactly what it was do you get a different yeah you know, like a different response when you post stuff like that versus pictures of you know muhammad ali or random baseball players wearing weird glasses Yes and no. I mean, you know, the, the, the parquet thing, I think that tweet was a little underrated, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm glad that you appreciated it, you know, because the parquet, it wasn't, you know, it was just an asshole. You know, it, you know 
butter and you're just like bullshit you're not butter you know butter it's like you know shut the fuck up i, I know what you are butter and then finally you know the person's like butter and then it's just like parquet you know so you what a dick uh, <laughs> you know the the reaction that you get you know certainly i've gotten pretty good at predicting um you know my batting average on the predictions is not a thousand occasionally i'll be surprised that you know, something doesn't resonate that I thought was gonna. Um, other times I'll throw something out there that I'm kind of lukewarm on and then it just really takes off. And then there are times where, you know, it's kind of a slam dunk. Like if I, if I'm looking at my timeline and like the last two or three tweets have kind of gotten a meh response and I know that it's time to, you know, have an extra base hit, I kind of know what those areas are because I've mm -hmm. come to know my audience. Uh, but then there are the tweets that you just do for yourself. You know, if you're going to tweet 25 times a day, which is probably my average, um, you, you gotta, you gotta make sure that, you know, some of them are just for you. And so sometimes I'll take chances and have a little fun with it and kind of take the temperature uh, of my audience and then, you know, think to myself, Oh, okay. They like that. Huh? I'll remember yeah. that. How, how often I remember that? Oh, go ahead, Andy. How often with something, with something like parquet, for example, or, or the, the tab that we were talking about that it, that's very, very specific to a particular era that you either lived through or not. And, you know, among the 400 or so thousand, uh, followers you have, which again explains why you should be verified. Get on it. Twitter. Unbelievable. Um, Could somebody update the Horse Cave Wikipedia page, please? <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe don't, like, go don't make me do it myself. You know, well, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Like Twitter did a little bit of background on you. Like, my God, he's not even famous from Horse Cave. Like he doesn't even qualify as a famous person from Horse Cave. Why are we verifying this guy? Unbelievable. But, like, unbelievable. but um, with something like Parquet or Tab, I mean, you've got followers that clearly are – you know, generation or two younger than you and did not live through this and may not have actual reference points to this. How often do you find them asking you like the backstory on it or expressing that kind of curiosity? You'll, you'll get that sometimes in the comments. And I think that that's, you know, a huge part of what makes super seventies mm -hmm. what it is are the comments because you know, oftentimes, oftentimes, uh, somebody will say something in the comments that I think is more amusing than whatever my caption was and the conversations that get started and the running jokes that get started. You know, sometimes, um, you know, it's like sort of the, in some ways, maybe my favorite thing about Super 70s is the fact that my caption is you know, it's not the end, it's really the beginning of the conversation. And sometimes those conversations just ebb and flow and go into all kinds of hilarious places and sometimes informational places too that, uh, you know, you couldn't really predict. But I, I, I will say this, um, I've got the best followers anywhere. I mean, if you're talking about people that are, uh, you know, funny, witty, clever, uh, generally informed, educated folks. I'll, I'll put my followers up against just about anybody's. They every day. I'm I'm you know delighted by something that one of my followers uh, says. You know, and oftentimes not you know many times a day. Quite frankly, no. You it's, create a lot of really funny threads. I mean, yeah, they, for they, sure. That's part of the appeal. I, I think you know, like stuff like this also too is like i this is so specific to a certain kind of like time in in like the nfl just the the helmet phone like the draft helmet. and i don't know if this is what you know the the phone might actually be but like the helmet phone was like a thing and like it was a big deal and this is how you made your number one draft pick and this is the kind of phone that you wanted in your house and you could <laughs> you know you can make an earl campbell joke in here um like this is though is this stuff though has become culturally iconic to the point where I think, you know, you could be 15, 16 and still understand what the what the helmet phone was. So there are certain things I feel like that that do bridge that are kind of cool in that way. So I mean, do you, do you find that you have a lot of, you know, 
27 year olds who come on this stuff and still get what you're talking about and get what you're doing? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think that people sometimes overestimate, you know, the idea that my audience is just, you know, guys between 40 and 60 or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of younger followers and I, you know, I think as time goes on, you know, my feed has become more eclectic uh, than it used to be. And I think that, yes, if you're 25 years old, there's going to be more references that you aren't going to get. Like you might not have gotten that, you know, Jim Rockford and Angel reference. But, uh, you know, if you're willing to sift through. To be honest, I didn't totally get that one. (laughs) (laughs) That you're going to miss a few. You know, I, I think that I'm serving up you know, multiple tweets a day that could be enjoyed by people of any age, like Danny White making out with the cheerleader who I'm told he, he eventually married. Oh, um, that's good. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. That, more that, that keeps it from uh, becoming something you spend too long wondering, okay, sh- <laughs> like this, is this really okay? <laughs> like, like, you know, you know it, it's for itself. some of these old ones, you don't need to know anything more than there's a guy kissing a cheerleader on the sideline. Yeah. Yep. You're going to have a reaction to that, whether you're at your, your, our age or you're our, you know, my kid's age. So, um, you know, I'd like to think that the captions for a lot of these, uh, are appealing across, uh, you know, age demos, uh, you know, regardless of whether they remember who the person is, hopefully f- with most of them, I'm able to get something in there that allows people to enjoy it on their own level. And that is, is glorious. And, and you do come across some really random shit. Like, you know, the the no, the volume 13 issue number six of Putt-Putt World. Um, like, just the fact that stuff like this exists is just strange. How were there 13 volumes of Putt-Putt World? <laughs> that was, it's exactly, that was my first reaction. Like, somewhere, like, the, the late 60s and 70s were huge for the print Putt-Putt industry. It's just, there's so much random stuff that's out there that was popular that doesn't that make much sense. By the way, fellas, I'm, I'm, I'm told that that magazine is, it was considered the Bible of Putt-Putt. <laughs> like the sporting news used to be for baseball. Wow. So, I mean, so were there cut rate putt putt magazines that were aspiring? Like, you know, they're, they're thinking like one day, maybe if we get some exclusive, we can be just as big as putt putt world. Yeah. There, there were, uh, you know, fringe publications, probably self published, <laughs> you know, but uh, there, there was no room. Putt putt world had a stranglehold on, on that market. Now, what what are some of like the seventies, like seventies, eighties TV shows or movies that you find yourself returning to the most? That you that you just get the most enjoyment, your go tos, that sort of stuff. Well, TV shows. Uh, growing up, my my favorite show was The Brady Bunch. Um, you know, I come in from school, like I was talking about. You know, maybe you watch the Cubs, then you flip it over to TBS, and you you watch a couple of episodes of The Brady Bunch. So. I grew up on the Brady Bunch, but I'm a big fan of the cop and, you know, PI shows of that era. So Columbo, Rock <laughs> Files, those are probably my my two favorite shows of the 70s. I even like McMillan and Wife. Uh, you know, it's cheesy, but so much. I'm not sure of, I remember that one. I don't yeah, know that one. Yeah, so what's another of, one? Yeah, Rock Hudson and Susan St. James. Um, oh, wow. He's a police commissioner who gets involved in every goddamn case. and brings Of course he does. So, you know, it's amazing. Uh, but uh, sure, Three's Company is another one. What's happening? Yeah. What's happening? I, when I was a I, kid, Sanford and Son, you know? When, when I was uh, in high school, I, w- I was with a friend of mine. We were going on like a school trip or something. Or no, it was like a spring break uh, thing with some friends of ours. And I saw Fred Berry, who played Rerun, in the airport. And like this lets you know how long ago this was because you could actually do this. He was being driven on one of those carts, you know, because he's a, he's a big deal. He's, he's Fred fucking Barry. My friend and I literally dropped our bags where we were, and we started chasing after this cart because we wanted to meet Fred Barry. And we eventually chased him down, caught him. He was super nice. And we asked him to give us autographs, and he did. And he signed it rerun. He didn't even sign it Fred Barry. I, I was like, oh, my God, you don't have to do that? Like. We know your name. Like I, I was like that. That's beneath you. You, you don't have to sign this thing. Rerun. 
Yeah, and I was really old, sad. How old, how old were you? I was probably 16 or 17, something like that. Okay. You were old enough to understand. I thought maybe that was cute if you were nine. No, you know, no. Like, you know, I, yeah. I, I actually, I was kind of horrified for him that he did this. Like, I was like, man, you're, you're Fred Barry. Like if, if somebody gets your autograph and doesn't know you're Fred Barry, that's on them. That's not on you. So you're telling me that I should stop signing my autograph, Super 70 Sports. I can go Ricky Cobb now. Is that, is I that think, what it is? Well, it, it depends on whether you get this blue check mark or not. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I had Barry Williams uh, on my podcast a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, nice. And we were, and, you know, very nice guy. And, you know, let's face it, uh, I don't get starstruck that much anymore. And, you know, you guys probably same thing. You know, once you're around, uh, famous people a bit you know you kind of get adjusted to it but there's always you know certain people that that doesn't apply to right and so for me barry williams was you know he's great for people that know that's greg brady from the the brady bunch and i was asking him about you know how you know what's it been like through your life and he said well he said i have a lot of friends and i said do people approach you and they think you're greg brady and he said oh yeah it happens frequently. And I said, what do you do? And he said, I just nod my head and thank them. And they'll ask about Marsha or Peter. And he'll just say they're fine. (laughs) You have people out there in the world, even now, you know, but uh, who think of him as Greg Brady to the point that, you know, they, they can't separate that. So, I don't know. That's a little weird from Fred, though. But don't make him talk about that bastard cousin Oliver. It probably doesn't help that he looks exactly the same. Like certain people, like, oh, my God, they really don't look like they did when they were teenagers on TV. Greg Williams – Barry Williams looks exactly the same. Yeah. You can't – there's no mistaking who we are. It's – you know, I'm sure that that's been a blessing and a curse. Probably, you know, Barry would say, you know, that it's more of a blessing – and you know he was a he was a prince of a guy, and I'm sure he's developed a ton of patience through the years because everywhere he goes, uh, yep. you know, particularly I'm sure when he was younger, you know, everywhere he goes, he's he's being approached by somebody, whether he's in a restaurant, whether he's in a mall, you know, wherever he yeah. goes, uh, every day of his life, somebody wants to come up to him and talk to him because they feel like they grew up with him. You know, it's. Let- it's a responsibility in a sense you know it, for sure especially with that show they, they they there's an incredible sense of ownership over it but um the last thing i wanted to ask you before we we, we let you go and wrap up here is the is do you ever there are points which you know and you you'll curse a little bit and that's fine it's certainly nothing that's offensive to to us where where you have to like dial it back like where where do you put where do you sort of draw the line between like okay this is funny but no i'm not doing that you know, it's it's kind of that little voice that you have in your head when you when you write the caption and you read it back. It either seems right or it seems a little harsh or it seems a little crass or a little crude. And sometimes you, you can get around that by just rewriting it a little bit, softening it up with a little different verbiage. Uh, sometimes you just kind of crumple that one up and and rewrite something uh, differently. But, you know, for the, for the amount of profanity that I use, and, and I'll tell you right now, I've gone back and looked because people email me and say, you know, could you not curse so much? You know, uh, sometimes very sincerely and nicely, and then other times, you know, people can be kind of rude about it. But I've gone back and looked. I probably curse in about 30% of the tweets. So I think the reputation is maybe a little bit right. uh, exaggerated, but you know, I, I, I think naturally or whatever, there's something that comes through in my voice that I think people understand, at least most people, the people who get the feed anyway, understand kind of on an intuitive level that there's a good heart behind what I'm doing. Well, I, some, I, I was going to say some profanity lands harder just because of sort of the, the context of it or the lack of humor or, or whatever. And I keep my tongue 
planted so firmly in my cheek that I think my audience has learned that, you know, most of those motherfuckers and, you know, all of that stuff are, are said with a wink and a nod and, uh, you know, with the knowledge that, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not intending to, uh, you know, hurt anybody's feelings I, most of the time. And I would say sometimes cursing is funny. Like that's just, I mean, sometimes things are funnier when you curse. They just are. And that's but just how, also, you, how it is. You do it, I think, really well in terms of intentionality. Like I, I've never seen you drop a motherfucker where I couldn't tell why you were doing it. Like where I look at it and go, okay, that makes sense. Like that actually was, what, whether you think it was necessary or not, it was appropriate. And as long as it's appropriate, then at that point, it's a judgment call on your part Ricky, in terms of when you when you end up tweeting it, but also too, like you talked about, you know, you take the piss out of certain things, you know, in terms of like you said that irreverence or the tongue in cheek, but you don't punch down, and like I I can't recall you ever doing anything that felt mean spirited, and I and I think that's really why you can you can put out some stuff that might seem a little bit edgy at times, but you know we followed you for a long time. I, I believe you that you get these emails every now and then because, you know, it's impossible not to piss off, you know, this many people following you. Again, verified Twitter, get on this. But, like, I don't see a lot of people complaining about you online. Like, I, I don't see that type of reaction. I know Brian and I have pissed, it seems like, pissed off way more people oh, than you have. yeah. Well, it's because it, we write about, we say things about Kobe sometimes, and that that's... It's, it, you know, speaking for me, it's been hugely hugely positive i mean you know people say things i mean people you know once once you're out there i mean people can say all kinds of terrible nasty things and if i wanted to focus on that you know i could give you some examples of you know just horrible things that people have said to me but again for every time that happens there's literally a hundred good interactions at least probably and I will say, you know, two things. I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, saying that I don't punch down. I try not to. Punching down is not funny. Uh, you know, to me, it's it's mean spirited, and I don't want to be that guy. You know, even as time has gone on, I I try to be a little more judicious in my verbiage, even when somebody says stick to sports. And I, you know, I know that a lot of my followers like it when I you know, kind of zing somebody who's being rude to me, but it's always a counterpunch. Mm -hmm. And I try to be as fair as I can about it because I do realize that, you know, if you're somebody that is an anonymous person and someone with the following that I have, you know, throws the wolves on you, yeah, yeah. that's, that's unfair too. But yeah, the, the cursing, I never curse for the sake of cursing, believe it or not. Uh, I think you believe it, but I don't know that, I don't know that, you know, everyone no, if, if pay attention. If you actually could, I mean, Brian and I are both writers and, you know, we both, you know, also in addition to like journalism stuff, we've done, you know, comedic writing and things like that. So, I mean, we both pay attention to this sort of thing, especially like we both consider in a lot of ways, Twitter, like a writing exercise. Like it actually, you can treat it that way. And I think in some ways gain clarity and a certain degree of skill as a writer, because, Trying to get exactly what you want in 280 characters or less sometimes isn't easy, but there's definite intentionality in a good way with the way you go about doing stuff. So, I mean, it's there if people want to look for it. Yeah, I I would like to believe that. You know, I I I use I use the words that I feel I need to use to create the feeling or to create the joke that I'm trying to make to accompany that picture. And if that requires, in my opinion, uh, a, a little bit of profanity, I'm going to use it like salt and pepper, uh, <laughs> you know, to serve it up. And if I don't think it needs it, I won't, you know, I'm never going to go out of my way to throw a, an, an F bomb into a tweet, uh, you know, just because I think people expect me to curse or something like that, you know, and sometimes I can tell what kind of a mood I'm in too. You know, I'll look at my tweets and they'll be like, eight in a row where I didn't curse at all. And then there are other days that I'll look at my timeline and, you know, there's like seven but, yeah. in a row where I drop an F-bomb. So you might be able to gain some insight into what my mood is that day, uh, you know, based on my language too, I guess.
Um, it's, it is a ton of fun. It's Super 70 Sports is the follow. And you can go visit the Super 70 Sports store and get some just cool, fun, you know, kitschy, nostalgic shit there. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's a great place. There's a section called Cool Shit. And yeah. it's five bucks off everything with the code USA5. There is no limit. So do a little bit of online shopping. Uh, like, like Brian was saying, it's good stuff. Um, and so uh, Ricky Cobb, who started this thing up, thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll get back and do some NBA, Claire DeLune. We're going to take Monday off because it's a holiday. And hey, well, who doesn't want a three-day weekend? And we'll be back Tuesday with Jason Jones from The Athletic. Uh, some great guests lined up for next week as well. And uh, again, thanks to Ricky Cobb. Check out Super, Se Super 70 Sports. And we'll see everybody tomorrow. Thank you, Nidalan.